I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair quest, quest, question. Hello, this is Vic Cohen broadcasting live. Yes, we're live from Skid Row Studios in downtown Los Angeles, California. The name of the show is It's a Fair Question. If you're new to the show, welcome. It's great to uh, have you here. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. It's great to have you. And yes, you look great. Not only do we have cameras here in the studio, but we have them over where you're listening. It's very exciting. Actually, that's not true. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? Um, Well, the reason we call the show It's a Fair Question, because on this show, every question is a fair question. And there is absolutely no question that is ever too personal or ever off limits. And I am very excited about our guest this evening. Tonight's show, I would say, is especially for you if you've ever had a goal or a dream, but just never gave it a shot. You never went for it. Perhaps you're stopped by fear or negative thinking. Maybe you've just felt overwhelmed on how to get going. I know we, I think just being human, almost everyone has had that challenge. Well, hopefully tonight can be the beginning of a thrilling new start for you. And that is with the help of tonight's incredible goal-setting coach, great guy, Gregory Sims. Hello, Gregory. Hey, Vic. How you doing, brother? I am fantastic. And a lot of people don't know we are brothers. Half-brothers. <laughs> no, Metaphysic, metaphysically half-brothers. I want to tell you, you, you are a great guy. Thank and you. if we, I, if, if I could have a, another brother, I've got two already, I would make you my third. I mean, God you, bless you. You're a great guy. You God really bless are. you. You got a great spirit. Well, God bless you. Thank you. You really do. Seriously. Thank you, man. Um, and that's that's part of the reason I'm here because uh, I'm here. <laughs> that's why you're here. Mm. Yes, you're fully responsible for I'm here. Why I'm on planet Earth. <clears throat> uh, no, but it's so cool to have you. And first of all, how are you doing? I'm doing very good, man. Yeah. Thanks for coming downtown. Life is good. Thanks for having me. Sure. You know, um, I've seen you a few times uh, around town uh, when we just haven't been, you know, we've been hanging out, but I've seen mm. you. Um, working, you're, you do this um, goal setting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're an amazing actor. I have to say, you. you know, I'm going to call you Greg the rest of the show. Please do. We we went formal at the top. But let's stop that. Let's drop that. Seriously. Yeah. Okay. So I've seen Greg at work with his clients because sometimes he'll do it in a public place, and I'll just happen to walk by. And then I saw Greg on stage, so I've seen him kind of doing both. Although um, obviously with his coaching or Goal setting. I don't. I'm not right next to him, but I saw you in an amazing play. Thank you. Yes, and um, is a German, right? Ball. Yeah, Brecht play. Ball. And yeah, and it's a. Pro- you saw me fully naked. I, I saw your yeah. balls. You did both and, of them in that play. Yeah, yes. and it's hot in here in the st- the studio, and I want to let you know that I'm fully comfortable with you getting naked again. But I did need to warn you there are cameras. I understand. Yes. I understand. But, you know, I want to say you really are. Uh, you no, are I've gl- yet to see your balls, though. That's Well, we just go online. Okay. okay. <laughs> just use the search in Google. Vic's balls, Vic. and it's just, that's all. It, You're just Vic balls. V balls. Just I've, V balls, and you come up. Seriously, yeah. yeah. I've done, I have word na- worked naked. <laughs> I understand. Not fully. I right. mean, we were pixelated. Right. I right. like I say we, like it's like my genitals and me were a You we. and your balls. Yeah. yeah. We were all. Yeah. All, a vaudeville sure. act. For sure. A vaudeball app. 
something like go. that. Exactly. But um, no, but so what's cool about having seen you actually work as an artist is that I know you work with artists in as doing your goal setting. Mm -hmm. Some would call it coaching. Mm -hmm. Sure. And so you live what you preach. Mm. And I think that's a really, um, that that's a nice distinction. You know, some people can talk a good game, but you've actually... Are live, you're living it. Yeah, thank you. I think that's that's. Uh, I think one of my most valuable uh, qualities as a as a as a goal setting coach is that uh, I do practice my own technique myself, and when I work with clients, I uh, I share my own personal experience. You know, I'm it, I'm in the trenches with them, so to speak. Now, I want to take a, a little mini break here um, and talk to Jeremy, our producer. I'm hearing a lot of static. Is it just my headsets? Or is it the um, something going on in the studio? Do you hear it now? No. When I speak, it's good. Now it's now it's now it's gone. Is it that you turn? It the was the AC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's just keep that off. Okay. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> but now my balls are sweating. It's going to get really hot in there. I don't know. I know, but we've been. You kind of like that, though. I like I like my guests to it's be okay. as uncomfortable as possible. Yeah. 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 We've done it before without air conditioning. We can do it again. We'll make it. Yeah. That static was starting to drive me crazy. I could tell. You were twitching a could little bit. Could you tell that yeah. I, was, I was getting distracted? Yeah, yeah. So what is it you actually do with this goal-setting stuff, and, and, and how did it start? Great. Well, uh, so it's called practical goal-setting technique, and it's something uh, that originally I developed for myself uh, about 11 and a half years ago, I, I think it was now. And um, as you said, I'm also a, a professional actor. And uh, 11, around 11 and a half years ago, I actually hit bottom with addiction to booze and drugs and other things. I had, I had quite a few addictions, you name it, and there's a good chance I was, I was addicted to it. Um, so um, I, Happy Days episodes? Uh, Mork and Mindy, or Mork and Mindy than Happy Days. Yeah. I had a hunch it was something yeah, like Orson. that. Orson, there was something about Orson <laughs> that I... That well, I, let's I, back up for just one second. Yeah. Um, so you were you were um, in the throes of addiction about 11 years ago. 11 and a half years ago, yeah. And when you say booze, uh, are we talking like blackouts where you end up in another city? I, kind of I never end up in another city, but I woke up um, in, a, in a crack house one time, coming out of a blackout. I came out of a, a blackout on the subway a couple of times. This is New York City? New York City. Yeah, I lived it makes in New York it more City for dramatic. 10 years. Yeah, exactly. Crack house, New York City. It's yeah. very... What borough? It's very dramatic. What borough was the Manhattan, crack house in? Manhattan? Yeah. Yeah, Manhattan. Somewhere in Manhattan. Spanish Harlem, I think, was the, the crack house I woke up in from a blackout. Were you time. doing crack? I dabbled in crack. I like to say I was a crack dabbler. Uh, if I didn't get sober when I did, it probably would have become uh, more of a problem. Uh, I just realized, gosh, I hope my parents never listened to this. Um, well, this just is, this is just just between us and whoever happens to be listening, and which is whoever, your parents because yeah, whoever call eventually them. plays this. Um, but yeah, I'd like to say I was a dabbler because uh, luckily I finally did get sober before that got really bad. But um, that was definitely part of the, the 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 really out of control behavior that that helped me hit a bottom and helped me uh, get sober. What yeah. was your bottom? Well, really, my bottom was just. Uh, I'd been trying for 10 years to get sober. So the, the, the chronic relapsing and the continually going back uh, to booze and to drugs. And <clears throat> there's dramatic stories like the like waking up in a crack house and, and other things, but really what... No, we want more of those. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe we'll get, get in some Give of me a second one. <laughs> uh, I mean, it really, it really does show, though. I mean, as 
Well, okay, know, here's I'm the being light, but... Yeah, well, okay, so the, I, I remember, you know, there was... Uh, what I do remember was... Because I think I came out of the blackout and... Actually, it wasn't that I blacked out and woke up in the crack house. I blacked out after I left the crack house, now that I'm remembering it correctly. And I remember going to the crack house. There was a midget I met on the street who, whose nickname was actually Shorty. Go figure. And Shorty was going to take me to this crack house. Um, and I remember giving Shorty my wallet on the way in and saying, I want crack for everybody. Just set him up. Wow. Set him up. And I don't, I, think I, I don't think I'd ever been in a crack house before, so I'm not sure how it worked or what, you know, what, what that meant. But Did that mean you had a lot of cash on you? Yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't think I actually did. I thought I was in a Wild West saloon or something. I don't know. I gave my wallet, though. I did give my wallet, and I, I, I partook in some crack. And then as I was leaving, I realized I had no wallet because I'd given it to Shorty, and we weren't in, in contact anymore at that point. And I remember thinking, I was nodding off, and I'm like, I'm not going to make it back to my place on 110th. Um, so in my mind, I was thinking where I need, I'm going to pass out on the street. And I remember there was this church on 96th street and I thought, um, I could pass out like on the stairwell outside of the, of the church. So I, I made it there and then I blacked out and then I woke up in a cab, uh, in front of my place. So the blackout was actually after, after, the, after, the after that experience. But, you know, in answer to your question, so I, I have these dramatic stories, but really it was, it was not the dramatic stories. It was just, you know, again and again and again, just drinking again and, and, you know, doing the same thing, expecting different results. And really what it was for me was I was um, around 30 when I finally got sober and I could, I could smell 60, you know? I felt like I was going to wake up like that, wake up overnight and I would be 60 years old and I would be sort of, you know, n not necessarily homeless. I could have easily been homeless or probably could have easily been dead by that point. But what really terrified me was that I would wake up and just sort of be in the same place, you know, be 60 years old and trying to get my shit together and I'm about to get sober and my life had really never gone anywhere. And I could, you know, palpably sense that happening. It was like a looming shadow. So... I finally did it. I finally surrendered. And with the help of other people who had recovered from addictions, I got physically sober. And after I got physically sober, I thought to myself, you know, some of what I'm learning, what I've learned about life from getting sober, I wonder if I can apply that to my career, my acting career, to get my professional acting career back on track. Um, and because I considered myself at the time to be the most neurotic human being alive and uh, plagued with ambiguous emotions that seemed to be continually in a state of tumult, I, th I thought I really need to develop a system for myself to help me move through my fears and really make changes in my life. And so I developed this. I didn't know it was going to be a technique that I would eventually pass on to anybody. It was just something that I developed for myself. I like to compare it to like, you know, Forrest Gump when he had those leg braces on and he eventually <laughs> was a big, you know, the fast, whatever he ran around the country, whatever he did. It was sort of like that for me, the, uh, the, the technique were my leg braces because it was so problematic for me to, to face fears and move forward in my life. So I developed this technique and uh, eventually it became practical goal setting technique. Um, and, you know, I, I taught, I, mean, I also teach acting and when I moved to Los Angeles and started my acting studio here in Los Angeles, I thought, hey, you know what, this goal setting technique that I've developed for myself 
I bet that would be useful for actors. What if I started a class called audition technique and goal setting for the actor? And uh, that seemed to be uh, really effective. And the students in the class begin to come to me basically and say, hey, we, you know, I love this goal setting technique so much. Could we do this one-on-one? Could I pay you one-on-one to, to coach me in this? And so then it just, and that was about, that was about five and a half years ago and it's really taken off. And it, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, go ahead. At that point, how sober had you been? How many years into sobriety? Um, about, let's see, I got sober 11 and a half years ago. I started the business five and a half years ago. So what's uh, about six, five years, six, five, six, yeah, six, six years. Yeah. Okay. And, um, one of the things that I think is also, uh, worth noting is that you're a really good looking guy. Well, and, and I, no, no, I know this sounds like out of left field. About the balls and the well, good looks no, 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 and no. The, the crack. I mean, no, I, no. you know, it's just, you put the three you together could, you, yes. you feel uncomfortable. No, no. Okay. But here's the deal. Like I look at you mm. and when you're in your twenties, um, you know, you're really good looking guy. Um, like what, it, this is going to sound really, um, it's not going to, it's, it's undermines what addiction is, but it's like, how could someone who like, what were the demons? Because you, you obviously, you know, you're, you, I was assume you were a very good actor. I mean, you are today. And, and some of that was, I would guess was there then mm-hmm. you're very castable. Mm-hmm. Um, what was going on that was driving you to drink and drug? Well, I, I think, you know, and, and this, this again, um, is a huge part of, of, practical goal setting technique and, and what I do when I work with people, I, it's what I call old beliefs or, uh, or self-centered fear. You know, I think what fuels addiction and what really prevents people from oftentimes moving forward in their life, one way of saying it is old beliefs, old fear. And I differentiate that between uh, real-time fear, or what I call baby-in-the-road fear. Meaning, if you and I are walking outside and we see a little baby in the street, we're probably going to react, you know? Or if there's a tiger in the room, we're probably going to react. We're going to do something. I don't think that's the kind of fear that, that blocks people. And I don't think that's the kind of fear that leads to addiction. The The really problematic fear is the kind that's not actually happening in the present moment. It's an old belief. It's an old pattern of thought that is triggered by something happening in the moment but oftentimes we're not even aware that it's happened. Often, isn't it true, Greg, that some of those old beliefs are ones that were instilled in us from very early on, believe, early childhood? Yeah, I believe so. Sometimes even at a pre-conscious level, you know, if, if those of us that, some of us who may have had abuse at a very early age, um, and even those of us that didn't have abuse at an early age, everybody, no one's getting out of childhood without old beliefs, you know? So mm-hmm. someone who even in childhood may have been, let's say, you know, let's use the example of an actor who was praised for being a wonderful actor at an early age and their parents even praised them a great deal uh, and everyone praised them. They may develop the old beliefs, say, oh, if, if I'm not an incredible success as an actor or if people don't think I'm great, I'm not going to get love. The only way I can get love and value and meaning in my life is if I'm a success, which is not true, of course. And people often aren't aware that that's happening. And I was, you know, I think I was just saying to you when we were talking before the show that when someone comes to to work with me, when I uh, coach them, often they'll say to me, you know, I think my goals must not be uh, important enough. If they were more important, I would take more action on them. And what we often come to see is that they're too important. They're life and death. People think if I don't create this new business, if I don't make X amount of money, if I don't get in the relationship, if I don't have the hit TV show, 
my life has no meaning, I won't get love, I'll be worthless. And so because the goals have become life and death, they, they can't take any action. It's, it like, it's too much. Like uh, um, flight or, you know, some people instead of freeze, some people will freeze and others will take action. Is it kind of like that? Yeah. Well, it's, I think if, if, if we have this old belief that if I don't get what I'm going after, my life is going to be destroyed. Yeah. Either it gets totally repressed, which is a form of flight, or we literally run away from it or trying to fight trying to go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make this happen, which often doesn't happen. But then those of us that, that can make it happen through sheer self-will, I mean, you and I both know if you can throw a rock in this town and you can hit somebody that you and I would consider, and most people listening would consider a celebrity. And you would think, gosh, if I had that person's success, I would finally chill out. And that person is in their manager's office right now throwing, you know, entertainment weekly at their manager saying, if I'm not on the cover of that fucking magazine next week, I'm going to eat your kids, you know, because it's never enough. And, you know, this is an anecdotal. I mean, this is the truth. Because I remember years ago, uh, Michael Richards from uh, Seinfeld, Hmm. uh, I saw him at a cafe in Venice Beach and I was uh, just... Yeah, I think he was really talented and a good actor, you know, and, and Seinfeld. And uh, this is way before his uh, rant in a public, uh, you know, right. at the Laugh Factory. Right, which, right. But, um, which is a whole other story I won't get into right now. But the point being, I was talking about Larry David and he was talking like he was kind of a jealous of Larry David or he was being a little critical of Larry David. Um, Larry David, of course, was a, one of the co-creators of Seinfeld and went on to do Curb Your Enthusiasm. And I was just like, wow, like, really? Like, you're 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 a cast member of one of the biggest sitcoms ever. Right. And how do you have any kind of anger or animosity of any sort? Right. Well, I think it's, you know, <clears throat> again, what's, in, what's, well, what's interesting is that I, I think... Multi-millionaire, then. Yeah. And, and I think most of us... You know, if we use common sense, we we see all the time. Oh, success isn't doesn't make people happy. It, it doesn't bring fulfillment. But yet, in our own mind, because we have these unconscious beliefs, we think no. But for me, it will be different, and it actually exacerbates the problem. I think. I mean, again, I compare it to if if someone puts a gun to my head and gives me a coin and says. Okay, start flipping that coin, and as long as you get heads, I'm not going to pull the trigger. But as soon as you get tails, I'm going to pull the trigger. If I get heads 15 times in a row, I'm not feeling more peaceful. I'm feeling more nervous than ever because I know it's only a matter of time before I get tails and I'm a dead man. So if we think we need success to have meaning in our lives, the more success we get, the more unstrung we become and the more desperate we become because deep down, deep, deep down, we know eventually the success is going to end because it does for everybody eventually, whether it's sickness or death or for most of us earlier than that. It's just not this constant rise and it never does. uh, It it never gets rid of the old belief. Well, Uh, before we get into the specifics, I do want to remind all of you listening that while Greg is an actor and he works with a lot of uh, actors, writers, creative types in Hollywood, the kinds of things he's talking about apply to anyone. You know, whether you're a doctor or oh, anything. Yeah. And, mean, I, and, I, and I work with people from, from all walks of life, uh, not only here in Los Angeles, but all over the country via the phone and Skype. It originally started out with actors and artists, but now I work with CEOs, people starting their own business, housewives, college kids, you know. 
Now, your website is called practicalgoalsettingtechnique.com. Yes, indeed. All yep. one word. And so I went on the thing because I like to research my guests and see, you know, what are they all about, uh, the specifics. And I'm going to read to you some of the quotes that I'm sure you put up because you got these from the people you work with. The testimonials. The testimonials. Yeah. Um, I mean, these things are like kind of um, hard to believe almost. And mm. uh, I'll first ask, did you write these yourself? No, no, those I are mean, actual. I these are real people. Yeah, yeah, those are actual clients. Your clients <laughs> or former clients. I mean, did they get any compensation? No, no, didn't pay them. I asked them. They, I asked them to write a testimonial, but I didn't. I didn't. Okay. Uh, some of these sound, write it at they all. sound no. totally insane and totally like, um, I had to challenge you on it. Uh, this Morrison wrote, within a month of working with him, that's you, I booked a role on NBC's The Office. Now, when they say a role, do they mean like working craft services? No, he had a guest, a guest star role on the show, yeah. And do you attribute as well that your work with this person helped? I, I mean, without giving away too much of what you guys worked on. What, did, did my work help yeah, him? Yeah, you would attribute I, yeah, this? I would say, I mean, we'll read the quote. Let him, let that's him say what he said. What, if he says it, then there you go, you know? <laughs> I don't want to speak for anybody. I mean, this but. is like, uh, I mean, this next one, they just get more and more crazy. Like, I mean, testimonials are usually like, you know, not this concrete. Mm. Now, I know this isn't about the cash and prizes, right? right? But right. but we all like to see results. That's human. This guy writes, or maybe it was a lady, Greg has turned my career in less than two months. Character turned it around in, uh, I, in two months. I booked a recurring role on the hit show Justified. Mm-hmm. So you were with this person when they called you up and go, you won't believe it. I I just got this guest role. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That must've felt good. Right. Cause it's yeah, a team. It, well, it does. And that, and you know, you're right. It's like the, when, when people get in, you know, I just had a client book a reoccurring role on, on, on a hundred, some new show on, on the CW. And when I can help with, with that kind of stuff, that's, that's fantastic, of course. And those are often the, the stated goals people have. We, you know, one of the first things I do with the clients, we come up with what I call uh, three super objectives, just three large goals. So for some of the actors, it's to get a you know a breakthrough guest star spot, to get a series regular, whatever it might be. And we really articulate those uh, in, in a very honed and specific way. But the the real, for me, the real joy of working with someone comes from not the the uh, material success, but the the more internal shift that happens with folks, and that. That shift from, you know, often what I say is I help people not to worship their goals, to move towards their goals uh, by detaching from their goals and to begin to, you know, discover what these old beliefs are that are blocking them and give up the impossible task of attempting to make fear vanish or go underneath fear or above fear, but actually make friends with fear, actually move into the fear and understand we're meant to move through it. We're meant to face really, really intense obstacles. And uh, for want of a better term, the, the spiritual growth that happens when someone engages in a creative manner with obstacles that life is giving them on life's terms. Um, and and that, that begins to happen for people. That's for me where the real, the real joy comes from, watching that happen. Well, clearly... Something's happening with these people. Uh, th this is the third one. I'm, this is the last testimony I'm going to read because it definitely made me, uh, I had to ask you, but I had to challenge you on this one. Challenge me, challenge me. Before working with Greg, I thought about going to work as a professional actress for years. And then this lady writes, all I did was think about it. But after working with Greg, I've signed with two different 
talent agencies. I've tested for a pilot. I booked a multi-picture deal to play a fantastic role in all three films based on the Hunger Games novel. And then she says she also landed a lead in a, a big role at the Geffen Theater, mm -hmm. which is a very highly respected theater. Mm -hmm. So, like, what else is? I mean, like, really? Like, like, really? Did she win the lottery too, Greg? Uh, she, she Powerball. Didn't win the, she didn't win the lottery. No, didn't <laughs> didn't do that. And with her, my question is: Is part of your philosophy to sleep with the director? And that is a fair question. No, <laughs> no. All I can say is no. I would I would never encourage anyone to sleep with the director. <laughs> okay, never. just want to be very clear here because yeah. that woman was on a roll. Yeah, no, she I mean. definitely did not sleep with the director. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. That was not serious, that question. So if anyone goes to that site, it's just a little joke. Yeah. But I mean, that's an incredible... Uh, now, again, being with her during that period must have been very exciting for you. Yeah. Like I said, it's it's really, you know, it's it's absolutely exciting when people get the big jobs, when, you know, I've had clients who aren't actors land their their dream jobs and start businesses and, you know, all sorts of stuff. And that's that's fantastic. But, you know, it's... It's really more the the minutia, the nuts and bolts changes. You know, the to watching someone, their again their whole relationship with obstacle and resistance and fear begin to change. And you know, something I like to say is that one of the the old beliefs many of us have is that as humans we're supposed to be we think we're supposed to be obstacle avoiding machines, and we're actually obstacle facing machines. We are meant to face the obstacle. And I and you know. What I've seen in my in my own growth and in working with people over these past five and a half, six years, people from all walks of life, uh, what I've seen is that for someone to truly grow as a human being, you know, which I think is what we're all after, right? I mean, to have greater depth, greater meaning, greater real happiness, not surface titillation, but but greater real joy and peace in our lives. That's why I think we we want the things that we want. But what I've seen is... For all that to happen, all that has to happen is the human being has to engage with the current obstacles of their life in a real, actual, creative manner. And if they do that, the internal growth will happen. It's all about the doing. It's all about the doing. It absolutely is. Yeah. Now, you say um, that your, you called PGST, practical goal setting technique. Right is based on a philosophy of goal actualization through, as you, you've been talking about, goal non-attachment. Explain what non-attachment means. Uh, well, like like we've been talking about, I, it, it means... I mean, you me, have to be... Who is not attached to wanting to do well? Right. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because what I often... There's this, um, this, this technique I... Part of my technique is I, I have this little system... I've developed uh, that I call TAG because it's just a fun acronym to remember it. Uh, TAG, you know, truth, acceptance, go is what it stands for. But it's a way to to get the mind to spill the unconscious beans, to, to get the mind to sort of vomit up what that old belief is that is blocking us, right? Because as I've been saying, I think we're attached to these goals because we have these old ideas, so here's an example that, that'll explain this, this little written technique I have of, of getting the fear out. And I'll use a, a personal example. Uh, when I was in my early 20s in New York, attempting to get work as a professional actor, and actually, I'd actually gotten a little work by that point, but I was still riddled with fear. And this was before I, I would get sober. Although I had periods where I would, I would stop drinking and then I'd start again and stop drugs and start again. Anyway, one day I get a call from my current agent. I had an agent and they called me up and they said, we need new headshots. 
not go out and get new pictures taken. Just this was new, your current agent at that time. At that time, right. Yeah. They just needed new black and white, old school black and white pictures. They called me, you know, it was payphone and pagers. This was this was back in the early mid-90s. Uh, but they just wanted new copies. Go down to reproductions, get new copies, drop them off. That was the message I got from my agent. I didn't call them back for a year. All they wanted was new headshots. And I was too scared to even return the phone call. Scared of what? Well, that's the question, right? And after a couple of weeks of not returning the call, I couldn't talk to anybody about it. I couldn't say to my, any of my friends, I'm too scared to call my agent back and go drop off headshots with them because I know it's irrational. You know what I mean? It's like, why would I be afraid of that? So I can't talk to anybody about it. So I have to play this game with myself where for some reason I'm choosing not to do it when it wasn't a choice at all. And I thought about it probably almost every day. Why aren't you calling your agent? Why aren't you calling your agent? Finally, a year later, I pick up a payphone. I call him back. There's some new receptionist I don't even know working there. They're like, Greg who? Uh, fuck, I screamed, slammed the phone. Fuck. So like you said, what am I scared of? Well, if that young Greg had this technique that I developed to get the fear out, what he might do is, and this is what I encourage clients to do, is uh, just to have a sheet of paper and a pen and write out, I have fear about and whatever the fear is about, or I'm obsessing about and whatever it is. So for me, I would have written, I have fear about dropping these headshots off with my agent. And what I encourage the client to do in this process is to keep going until you get to the fear behind the fear behind the fear, until you get to a statement that is 100% false for any human being, just completely false. That's the litmus test. That's the litmus test. That's how you know you've hit the bottom. Such so, as what would be, well, I'm so example, so, 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 so this is me, if, if that 23, 24, however old I was, Greg would have done it. And, and even if it's like odds are that's not true, you want to still keep going. So example, I would go, I have fear about dropping these headshots off at my agent's office because I have fear we could have a very awkward conversation. That might happen, you know? Obviously, I'm neurotic, so there's a very good chance it's going to be an awkward conversation, so I keep going. You know, I have fear about dropping these headshots off with my agent because I have fear it will be an awkward conversation, and because of that, I have fear they will drop me as a client, and because of that, I have fear I'll never book great jobs, and because of that, I have fear I'll never be a very successful actor, and if I'm not a very successful actor, my life will have no value or meaning, and I'll be destroyed. Okay, that's false, right? Mm -hmm. That statement that if I am not a success as an actor, my life will have no value or meaning and I will literally be destroyed. Right. If I take myself out of the picture, anybody, you know, fill in the blank. Like if I'm not a top-notch chef, my life will have no value or meaning, you know, and I'll be destroyed. If I'm not an Olympic skier, if I don't open up, you know, a grocery store, whatever it is. I think, and I've yet to sit across from somebody who will disagree with me on this, I think we all know that the human being, the human soul is not born into the world with like some kind of metaphorical chip in it that is like, okay, you have to make $80,000 selling pool tables and you, you know, have to have nine kids and you have to climb Mount Everest. It's just not the case, right? And I think most people we admire, if we look at the lives we really admire, they are often people who their dreams along the way got totally smashed for various reasons, various obstacles, but then they went on to do something else. Well, a lot of us don't even, well, Greg, a lot of us don't know the people that we often, or I'll say I admire often. I believe as they say, you know, I'll compare my insides to their outsides, right? Which is also a pitfall, right? 
Um, and for those of you not familiar with that term, uh, real briefly, if, if let's say I'm feeling depressed or sad or feeling like I'm not achieving necessarily what I want to, perhaps I'll look at the exterior of another person. Uh, maybe they have material things I would like or other parts of their life or what I want, and I'll decide that they're much happier than me. They're right. outsides, the things I can see when I compare that to how I'm feeling, the sadness at times in me. That's where the despair comes in, and it's, and it's something I keep an eye on. Um, but uh, I'm not sure I gave that little explanation, but I'm trying to think the context of it. Well, I... Um, uh, oh, what I was, with uh, was going to say is when I, when I look at those people who do have what I want, I don't even think about, like you said, we appreciate the people or the people we most admire. We know they've had different obstacles along the way. I don't know if we really do know that. I mean, like, you know, Abraham Lincoln's famous for all his failures, but most people don't know that. They get relieved when they find out. Right. Um, I, right, right. Well, and I think... Or that, like Trump, you know, like, just looks like he just... I'm sure that guy had some challenges, but it doesn't look like it. Well, we never... Yeah, we never know what what is going on in someone else's life, you know? But I think that... We I, think we are... We have unique... You like to say, uniquely special. Well, yeah, we think we... You know, we're, we can all be terminally unique, you know? Yeah, right. Because from where I'm sitting... I'm the only one who is like this living movie screen with these hands in front of my face. And, you know, you look like you got it together. I mean, not you. You clearly don't. But Thanks. other people look like that. You know, <laughs> most good. people look like they got it together. Right. I kid. No. But, uh, but yeah, so and, and, and when, when we, you know, so if we, can, if we can articulate what that old belief is, and this goes back to what you were saying about, well, how do we detach? It's easier said than done, of course, you know, and it is. So it's a real paradox when we, are, when we articulate that old belief. And I think it's a trap to go like, oh, so that's false. I don't believe it. We can't not not believe it, you know? So it's a paradox. What we can do is admit that it's not true. It's not true that someone needs to be a very successful actor in order for their life to have great value, meaning, and depth and not be destroyed. We can say, well, I know at a rational level that's not true, but I believe it, you know? And I often compare it to like the child who's scared of the boogeyman and the child you know, the young child can have a lot of fear and he goes and tells his father, I'm scared of the boogeyman. And the father says, no, there's no such thing as the boogeyman. And the kid's like, well, my father's an idiot. Why would I be, ter I'm so terrified. Why would I be so scared if there's no boogeyman? And the good father uh, would perhaps say, well, you've convinced yourself there's a boogeyman. So your emotional state now makes you think the belief that the boogeyman exists is true when it's not. Your emotions aren't proof that the old belief is true. They're a result of having the old belief. So we have these old beliefs that create these very uncomfortable emotional states, but we take the emotional states for evidence that, well, it must be true. So I must need to be a success in order to get value and meaning. And again, it's not true. And the next part of what I ask clients to do is then if, so if that's not true, if we can admit on some level, even though we believe it, we're not trying to play this game where I don't believe it. No, I believe it. It ain't true, but, but I believe it. So then what is true? And it's something I call, again, just another goofy word to remember it, a, a net, a new empowering truth. He went from tag. Tag and net. And tag again stands for? Truth, acceptance, go. That's what this whole process is called. Okay. And, then, and the net is the new empowering truth. You know, it's, it's, well, what is true? If that old belief is, we're saying it's not true. Even though we believe it still. Even though we believe it. And we're not going to believe this new empowering truth, but... And, we, and it's even helpful to take ourselves out of the picture. I often say to a client, if your sister or your son or your husband said this to you, what would you say to him? If, you're, if a loved one said, I just think if I'm not a really successful actor, my life is going to have no value, meaning, or depth, and I'm going to be destroyed. 
what would what would you say? What is something that is the opposite of that, but is empowering and also deep down we can say is true? It's not a psychological parlor trick. It's actually, no, I believe that's true. And it takes time to articulate and, and hone the words that really speak to you. But over time, I think we can come up with some, I've seen people come up with some really powerful affirming statements. So and, what's your net? Well, my net for, for that, yeah, for that specific, you know, so for, for myself, the old belief that if I'm not... Uh, incredibly successful actor, my life will have no value or meaning and I'll be annihilated, which is really what it was. I, I came to discover that's the way that it, that it really manifested in me. So a new empowering truth for me was whether or not I'm a success as an actor has no bearing at all of anything that has real value in my life. As long as I imperfectly practice my ever-expanding principles, my life is destined to have great value and meaning and what is most true about me can never be destroyed. And that for me rings true, you know? And I think, you know, a lot of philosophies that involve power of positive thinking, the problem is they, they don't go deep enough and they don't in involve action from my point of view. But so if an actor is going to say audition and they're trying to t tell themselves... Or let's say a plumber... Right. Going to see a client uh, right. so a plumber, or, yeah, a, or wants to start a business. Right. Or, so the plumber who's, who's going, you know, who's trying to get the loan to start his business and he's going to, to meet with the, you know, the, the board to try to get the loan. And again, he has this belief that if my business is a success, I'm going to have no value, meaning or depth. If the plumber is trying to tell himself, like, they're going to give me the loan. Well, the mind rebels because the mind goes, they may not. And then you try to say, no, but they will but they may not. That's the positive mental. Right. Habit. It's just like you end up having a war with yourself because again, one thing that I really base my work on is there are things in our power. There are things that we have power over and there are things that we don't. And if we focus on what we have power over, we tend to lead happy, meaningful lives. And if we focus on what we don't have power over, things get really fucked up pretty quickly. So with that new empowering truth, what I then ask the client to do is sort of take a contemplative moment, if you will, and acknowledge this paradox that here's this old belief that I believe, yet it's not true. And here's this new empowering truth that I don't believe, but I'm acknowledging that it's true. And then I actually have them write what they're feeling, whatever they're feeling in the moment. And, and it's helpful too, because a lot of times it will be shame and anger and fear, but maybe some hope and some uplift and some, some good mojo from writing out that new empowering truth. But I ask them to, to really lean into the feelings to own the feelings and to do what I said a moment ago, uh, to acknowledge that the feelings are not evidence that that old belief is true. The feelings are a result of having the old belief. And like the Buddhist nun Pema Chodron says, what we want to do is drop the storyline and lean into the feelings because the feelings are safe. So in that moment, they surrender that old belief and they lean into the feelings as, as comfortable as they might be. And then I ask them to take some next right action, some simple next right action, as if that new empowering truth were true. Now, a couple things I just want to ask you. Um, I had one therapist, and I think more than once, who said, fuck feelings, mm -hmm. which I think is what you're talking about. Well, it's not, it's not so much fuck feelings. It's, it's make love to feelings. No, it's, <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is that, yeah, in a, in a way, and I understand where, the, where that's coming from, I think. I, I think the thing is we can't, We've got to feel the feelings and move through them. And then we can't ignore them. Okay. We can't pretend they're not there, but we don't want them to dictate our behavior. We want to see that even high octane, very volatile feelings are workable and can be expressed and moved through. Okay. And they're also uh, flags. They're giving me information, my feelings, that there's something to be explored. 
Sure. I would think. Sure. And, and using your technique, I'm sure, would be very helpful. A couple of other things. Uh, I'm just imagining um, someone at home, um, they've, they're about to perhaps go into foreclosure and uh, they're feeling a lot of despair and they're listening to you, Greg, and, they're, and they might be thinking, um, wow, uh, kumbaya, mm-hmm. this is very touchy-feely, mm-hmm. uh, this is California for you. I got, I, my house is, I'm going to lose my house right. and I got three kids that need to be fed right. and I'm, I'm scared and, um, and this is all real and I might lose a job sure. like I'm or I, you know, or I have lost my job. How does this, who has time to sit and write the, t- the, the net and the, the Ted and <laughs> I mean, you know, if life is, if the, if the house is on fire, who has time to grab a little journal and hit Starbucks? Well, if the house is on fire, don't grab your little journal and hit Starbucks. <laughs> you know, like, but put the fire out, obviously. If someone's house is on fire, don't come see me. You know what I mean? Metaphorically. No, but metaphorically, I think, look, and, that's, and, and what I just said is... is and that one, is a fair question, not to be obnoxious. No, I just no, think not, that no, this, look, is gonna, this is crossing someone's mind, I'm sure. Sure, absolutely. Look, and this is one of the... You even asked me before the show, you said, can I call you a life coach? And one of the reasons I said, no, just call me a goal-setting coach is because... I I have my own perhaps old beliefs uh, about being perceived as, as new agey because uh, or as you said airy airy fairy um, and it's one of the reasons why I call my technique practical goal setting technique because for me if it's not practical it, it's of no use to me when it comes to a philosophy or a, a technique for for moving towards goals so you know the 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 the, the tags and the writing and the fears is is just one part of it and. That doesn't speak to everybody. Um, it is one part of the technique. And I think there's no way around. Um, you have to make friends with what I call the old beliefs in order to move forward. And there's different ways to do that. The spine of my technique, though, is, is really, you know, articulating what these super objectives are. And look, for someone, the super objectives because I always say our super objectives, another way to, to, I mean, it's just a term for large goals, but I always say it's like what you're called, what your heart is calling you to do. You know, let's try to articulate those. What you'd like to do, but maybe are afraid to do. Yeah. Or what, as you said, with the, the house being foreclosed, because here's the thing is it's, it's always this dance between, you know, my, my heart, what my heart's calling me to do and reality. You know, if the right. aliens invade tomorrow and World War Three intergalactic war is happening and I'm, you know, concerned about my agent, I'm not living in reality. I have a new set of objectives now. You know, mm-hmm. let's hide Survive. in the hills and, and, and start a renegade rebel group to fight the mutants, whatever it might be. Um, so so if, someone, if, if someone's house is being foreclosed, it would make sense that a super objective would be, you know, to, to, de- to develop a highly effective system to deal with this for- foreclosure that's happening, to try to find a way to save the house or find a way to work with this foreclosure experience. And what I do with folks is, is you know, once we articulate the goals, we then break it down into really bite-sized, doable actions. And what we come up with is a weekly plan where the client is gently committed to doing one thing each day only for at least 20 minutes related to their super objective. They can do more, but they only have to do. The commitment is just for 20 minutes, and all you have to do is show up. That's mm-hmm. all you have to do. And then I ask them to answer a couple of questions at night. But for instance, if someone's super objective was to save the house from being foreclosed, and, you know, I think we could imagine that person very easily being in a panic state. So for them, perhaps, 
if, okay, for at least 20 minutes, I'm going to go talk to Bob, this guy that my uncle Bruce said I should talk to who has experience helping people, for at least 20 minutes, I'm going to meet Bob at Starbucks and get his advice about my situation. Here's another answer to my question that I... Um, and you're giving me the answer to your question? I'm going to answer my own question. That's uh, If great. I can remember it now. Great. This is what I think th- Think about that. Is the ho- What does the house really mean to me if I'm the guy, God forbid, in foreclosure? In other words, let's look at the fear behind the foreclosure. It doesn't mean that I, I want to live in acceptance and just give the house away. But is my fear and my reaction right size to the challenge, the problem, or do I have old beliefs that I am what I live in, and that if I uh, foreclose or people who foreclose are losers, or you know if I have beliefs that that are going to make me feel bad, that's an opportunity to challenge those beliefs with what you're talking about, and there will be some uh, relief about how important it is to have that house. And in having the relief, I'm guessing it would help uh, me if I were, God forbid, in that place or someone else, The uh, in a moment to just take a, and then take action more clear-headed. Right, because, you know, look, and, and often in, in, again, high-stakes situations, we find ourselves, because of those high stakes, just in action, which is great if that's happening. But as you're saying, if someone's house is in foreclosure and they're paralyzed because of their fear, then that's what's happening. So it's really not, it's not airy fairy to want to, to deal with the fear because it's there. And, you know, you brought up a really good point. I often say to my clients that, you know, I'm, I'm married and we're, we're planning to um, move towards having children soon. And so, you know, an, an old belief that can come up for me, right, is that if someday I can't provide for my family, I'm not a real man and my life will have no meaning. And that can be really scary to, to look at because part of me goes, no, that's true. Does it ever make you want to shut down if you were to believe that? Sure, like not yeah, even get well, out of bed? That one doesn't make me not want to get out of bed. Or some I, I've, others? I've, I've, yeah, I've had, well, again, I, I couldn't even call my agent back who wanted new copies of Headshot. So I well, the reason I'm asking is because sometimes it, it, happen, it hits me periodically that I can get so overwhelmed with sure. some of these old beliefs that instead of it motivating me to take action, I actually... Get depressed. That's exactly and what I, happens. And I fall into it sometimes, not always, but I'm being vulnerable here and sharing that I get, Please. I will fall into some inaction and, and the depress, and then it just, the inaction feeds into more inaction yeah. and then I get more and more depressed. Well, absolutely. That's why I often, I, I often suggest count, uh, clients try that tag technique first thing in the morning. And I did that myself for many years. I would, I would do it right in the morning because often I found for myself, especially years ago, before I really began to face these old beliefs, it was like I would wake up in the morning and my my old beliefs were like on my nightstand smoking a cigarette waiting for me. You know, it's like, hello, asshole, you awake? Okay, I got some things to talk to you about. Let's go over some things and like do a PowerPoint presentation of why I'm fucked, you know? And then you try to, I think what we're trying to do so much of the time when people think they're planning or strategizing or wishing, they're just trying to manage the fear. We're just in our heads trying to like make it go away or have it be right size and it doesn't work. Well, the other thing that's really important that can't be miss, uh, uh, can't be looked over uh, is that a lot of what you're talking about is in, is about taking action. And we spend yes. a lot of time focusing on what happens before one takes action, but nothing's going to happen if I just understand what's going on. No, it's, and that's why I said before, it's like, even when, even when someone does that technique, the really important part is, okay, there's the old belief. This is what I'm saying is true yet. I don't believe it, but I want to, as I said, 
take some small action acting as if that new empowering truth is true. But without the action, we're never going to come to believe what is true is true. So, and that's also why I have folks break it down into these small chunks because that person whose house is being foreclosed on, for them, just going to sit with their friend for 20 minutes to get practical advice is really, the, can be a very helpful thing to do. But if they're so spun out, they can't even be present for that, it's going to be problematic. Yeah. And that's and in those 20 minutes, I, I, I ask clients to think of it, and it can be more than 20 minutes, of course, but just to look at it as each day I'm just going to do this one thing for at least 20 minutes and really to look at it as a meditative act, to take the tag beforehand if needed so that those feelings can be acknowledged, the old belief can be surrendered, but we can, you know, be present. And for at least 20 minutes, even though I might be filled with shame and fear as I'm talking to Bob and getting advice, I'm going to do my best to be present, to listen, to take notes and be in this action. Well, sometimes I'm listening to you. What's I get, I go to this place where I'm like, what's wrong with me? Like so many people can naturally do things like where they're not, this is my, my, this is my thinking. I don't know if there's any truth to it, but I'll look at certain people and go like, they don't have to work on this stuff. Like, you know, or, um, like, I don't know, whoever it is. Like say Woody Allen. I don't know Woody Allen, but I go, he he doesn't have to work on this stuff or Mel Brooks. Be like, you know, what's so wrong with me? Why do I have to work on this kind of stuff? Like what is wrong with me that I have to sit and, you know, and sometimes I do get depressed over, you know, and in these ways and, 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 you know, in, I can fall into that story. Sure. Well, every, here's what I say to that is that, that everyone's got their shit. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm, and I'm sure we can imagine Woody Allen having his shit to work on. Well, I just you know? saw a special on Mel Brooks not too long ago, and he talked about in his early days how he was so anxious and rock, he was literally throwing up on the street. Yeah. So, but, you know, I, I, and then I was like, oh, okay, there we go. And he did uh, analysis and he shared about that. And Woody Allen's famous for doing analysis. So right. I don't even know what I'm talking about right now as I actually throw the facts out. Right. Well, it's, it's like I said, no, but, you know, it's a fantasy we have that there are some people who are getting through life without having to accept. It's a fantasy if we think there are people who are leading very fulfilled lives with deep meaning that haven't come to the understanding that, Working with pain and working with obstacle is the key component to being human. Right. And I think that working with you or someone else or having a group of friends, is the, it helps in the doing because, um, you know, I always like that idea of how are things working so far? And right. if things are working great, then you might not, this stuff it may not be really necessary and not being, I'm not being sarcastic. That's no. just the truth. But, you know, the good thing about being an adult especially once you get into your 30s and 40s, you've had a chance to do some road testing. Right. So if things are not the way I want it to be or you want it to be, well, there it is. And then, you know, yeah. the only way I can predict the future is by looking at the past. Well, that's, that's you know, that's a great point. I, you know, a large part of my work too, in a very simple and very practical way, because again, that's very key for me. It's got to be practical, uh, is helping people to reflect in a real way, you know what I mean? To actually, and it's a very hard thing to do to actually reflect on our past experience and not be caught up in it instead of actually reflecting. And as you said, actually looking at, well, wait a second, if every time I've done X, it's always gotten me Y, then I should probably learn something about that and I should probably try something different because, you know, there's an old phrase uh, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And, you yes. know, and when we're, when we're in the, these old beliefs and I sort of look at them like, 
invading organisms in, in a way. They sort of often the siren. They they often this they offer this interesting siren song of not only do they sort of become self fulfilling prophecies. We end up if we try to fight them, we often prove them to be true. So they almost say to us, no, 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 prove to yourself that you're not a piece of shit doomed to failure. Go ahead, go ahead, prove it. And then we try to do something and it's like, oh my God, I just brought the whole tent down on top of me. I can't believe that just happened. I, because they have this hypnotic, they're in our subconscious and our conscious mind. So again, what I think we need to do is, as you keep saying, in an active way, we need to admit that we have them and, and not try to fight them, but sort of, you know, Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi, drop the lightsaber and go, let the, let the energy hit me, but I am not going to fight fucking Darth Vader anymore. You right. Know? Now, the, the, a couple things um, that I'm, I've been lis- as I've been listening uh, that have come to mind is a lot of what you're talking about, um, we're talking about cognitive behavioral therapy in that, you know, there's a lot, of, one of the distortions that can often lead to depression and uh, lack of movement and a career in life. There's about 12 or so of these distortions. One of them is catastrophizing. Mm-hmm. And you, I think that we've talked about how those, sometimes those core beliefs are really an example of catastrophizing. Sure. Um, if I don't get this, then I'm nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is I hear a lot of what you're sharing um, in your philosophy, similar to stuff as um, I've done some recovery stuff. Not, I'm not an alcoholic, but I've done um, like I, I, I'm uncomfortable saying I'd gone to some CODA meetings. And mm-hmm. the point being that I'm familiar with that literature mm-hmm. and I'm hearing a lot of things that I would hear there, like into action. You know, there's mm-hmm. a big emphasis on taking action. Mm-hmm. Also magical thinking. You know, I know on your website, you talk about, we often have magical thinking, like sure. like goals should just happen. <clears throat> right. Um, and I love how you, uh, you use that and also challenging our fears. I know that that, that is a, and the truth is that this isn't stuff that it, one has to be an addict. This is the human no. condition. Yes, I think so. And I, and I, and I you know, that's why I think um, not to, to diss anyone else's philosophy, but for me, and I, I think I say this on my website, is to me the great secret is there's no secret. You know, that's, that's the secret. And, we, you know, people often think, again, this, as you said, this magical thinking, this idea that if I just control my thinking, I can then control my reality. I just think that practical experience bears that out not to be the case. Tell that to the, the, the parents who their child was just born with leukemia and tell them, well, if you would have thought better, that wouldn't have happened. Or someone whose spouse right. just got hit by a drunk driver. It's like, well, if you two would have thought better, that wouldn't have happened. It just doesn't bear itself out when you really look at it. So, And we also, I think, know at a core level, we can't control most levels of thought. If I tell you don't think of my balls right now. There you go. You're thinking of my balls. I've been thinking about them. Yeah. Time. Well, again, that's, that's, so it's not the best example, but no, it isn't. you know, we can't, we can't control most levels of thought. So what we really need to do is focus on what we do have power over, which is, you know, our behavior in the moment and our sort of overreaching attitude and perhaps working on surrendering and bringing to the surface these unconscious attitudes that we don't even realize are are plaguing us. We're going to have to wrap it up very shortly. Okay. I, I want to, um, the other thing I wanted to make a point of mentioning is you reminded me that, um, and this is what I've discovered with, um, in talking to other addicts and, and kind of seeing what goes on in that world is a lot of people who um, go to whatever the drug may be, food or sex, gambling, it doesn't right. matter what it is. They are usually, I say always, they are having a problem uh, with the discomfort 
of being uncomfortable. In other mm-hmm. words, I think that certain people, um, it's like the fire department must be called if there's just any amount of discomfort. Mm-hmm. And what you've been sharing with over the uh, with me and everyone, all of you, is the idea that life is uncomfortable. You know, it's the first sentence in the book in that very popular book, um, "The Road Less Traveled." Mm-hmm. Life is difficult. It's a Buddhist idea too. It's not mm-hmm. when we embrace the difficulty, when we embrace the uncomfortable. Isn't that what we're talking about a lot? Yeah, of I think, I mean, one of the things that, I, one of the greatest gifts of my life today, and, I, and again, let me just reiterate, I think you're absolutely right. This is, you know, everything I'm talking about, I think applies to to all humans, not just addicts. Um, and I think all humans understand compulsive behavior. And what you just said right there, I often say one of the greatest gifts of my life today is the ability to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yes. You know? Well, that's great. And I, I wish we had more time because we've really just scratched the surface. Uh, Greg, uh, if people want to get a hold of you or at least look at your site, I know you put out a newsletter. How can they do that? Yeah. If you just go to my site, which is practicalgoalsettingtechnique.com, as you said, one word, practical goal setting technique, you can go there. You can uh, send me an email from that website. You can call me. My number's on there. And I offer anyone who's interested a free, free, absolutely free hour long intro session either in person if you're in LA or over the phone or Skype if you're not. And um, we can connect and I can tell you more about the, the, the technique and we can set some goals together and see if uh, I might be of service to you. All right. Well, you've already been a service to me. Thank you, brother. And I uh, loved having you. Thank you so much for sharing with me uh, your life experience. Thank you so much for yeah, having it's me. It's been really it's helpful. Been great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. And I can't wait for you to join me next time right here on Vic Cohen's It's a Fair Question. It's always a fair question, right? I'm Vic yeah. Cohen. And it's a fair question. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen. And it's a fair question. It's a fair. It's a fair. It's a fair. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen. And it's a fair. It's a fair. It's a fair. It's a fair question. Quest, 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 quest.